Hi, this is Deanna. And this is Michelle. And this is Historable. So, Michelle. So, Deanna. Welcome to my episode. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited, too. I love when you do episodes. I like doing episodes as well. It's a good time. It's a fun time. It's a fun time. It's a special time. Just, you know, I don't know. Just a great time. I hope to knock your socks off today. Knock them off, lady. Knock them off. Before we jump into today's crazy topic, um, do we have any affairs we'd like to get into order? I have an affair. All right. What and you got? It's a. Do you see how I just got really serious there? <laughs> Very serious. It's a gripe with my own self. Uh-oh. So last episode, I was pronouncing it, mispronouncing it pretty much the whole time. I think I just kept <laughs> saying like Tiamen, Tiamen Square, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like Tiananmen Square, depending on your accent. So if that offended anyone, I'm very, very sorry. Yeah. I offended myself. That's all right. That's not too bad of an affair to get into order. Yeah, I just had to correct myself. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to also butcher some names in today's episode. So heads up. That might happen. You know what? This language, I think it is a tough one for most people to to guess pronunciations. Words are hard. Words are hard, guys. Words are hard. Don't hate us. (laughs) Moving along. All right. So today... What are we talking about today? We are going to be talking about the Irish Magdalene Laundries. All right. So... I feel like for people that don't know what that is, they're like, what? A laundromat? I know. I didn't... I had zero clue uh, what this topic was. And when we were putting together our schedule for the quarter and talking through episodes, uh, Michelle was like, hey, I think this might be something you have an interest in. And she was right. Bing, bing, boom. It definitely... I'm like three for three on recommendations for you. <laughs> you are. And I think what's really interesting when we are, you're writing an episode, it either just clicks and it's magical and you just go for it. Or it's the opposite end of the spectrum where it's painful, you can't get through it, you hate it, and it's just like, ugh. This one was very natural, very easy, just all came together lovely. So The best kind. I hope it comes across that way today. Okay. All right. So let's let's just dive into it. Okay. So when I started just kind of thinking about this episode, um, I kind of went down a little bit of a Michelle-esque rabbit hole, actually on Mary Magdalene. The best kind of rabbit holes. Laundries. The religious ones. Right. So I was like, okay, well, I'm like, I know the name Mary Magdalene. I've heard of it. I kind of know the story. And then I just went down a deep dive. So that's actually where we're going to start. Because I think the context is actually pretty helpful. Maybe not fully relevant, but it was just kind of a fun little rabbit hole I went on. So I wanted to take you guys with me. Awesome. So let's kick it off. So who was... Mary Magdalene. She was Mary of Magdala, and she was known as one of the earliest followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Magdalene is not um, actually her surname. It is identified as the place where Mary came from, which was Magdala, uh, which was a city located in the northernmost region of 
ancient Palestine, now northern Israel. So according to the Bible, uh, Mary traveled with Jesus, witnessed his crucifixion, and was one of the first people to learn of his resurrection. So over the centuries, everyone from early church leaders and scholars, filmmakers have really kind of almost played telephone and revised, elaborated on the story of Mary. On one hand, you can see stories of downplaying her importance, you know, in the stories claiming she was a prostitute, a ruined woman who repented and then was saved by Christ's teachings. You don't say. I know. And then in some other interpretations, especially, you know, more, I guess, earlier Christian texts, uh, Mary Magdalene was depicted as not just a mere follower, but Jesus's like trusted companion. Um, So some actually interpret that to mean his wife, his Bessie, his like ride or die chick. Sure. So there's definitely um, conflicting, I guess, reports of Mary and her history. But it is said that given that her clear importance in the Bible, some early Western church leaders actually sought to downplay her influence by portraying her as a a sinner, going back to saying she's a prostitute, Mm -hmm. right? So you know, throughout history, how do you, I don't know, degrade women? You, you put them in that pedestal. This is heavily telephoned information, really like written biasly. And yeah. Yeah. There was um, a quote from Robert Cargill, who was an assistant professor of classics and religious studies at the University of Iowa. Um, he had said, there are many scholars who argue that because Jesus empowered women to such an extent early in his ministry, it made some of the men who would lead the early church later on uncomfortable. And so there were two responses to this. And going back to when was to turn her into a prostitute. So by turning Mary Magdalene into a prostitute, then she is not as important. It diminishes her in some way. She couldn't have been a leader because look at what she did for a living. So I don't know. That's just an interesting little story about her. And really the version of Mary Magdalene being a prostitute held on for centuries. Mm. Apparently, Pope Gregory the Great made it official in one of his sermons. Official? Yeah. I guess he did a, in the sixth century, he did a sermon and officially labeled her as a prostitute. Wow. The audacity of someone going back how many hundreds of years and being like, that woman? Yeah, she was a hoe. But apparently when Orthodox and Protestants split from the Catholic Church, they actually didn't keep this going. Um, And finally, just to kind of wrap up her story, in 1969, Many, 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 many years later, uh, the church admitted that the text of the Bible does not support the interpretation that she was a prostitute. So today, Mary Magdalene is considered a saint by the Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, and Lutheran churches, and she has a feast day on oh. July 22nd. Okay. So... When? July 22nd? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, all that to say, throughout most of history, the phrase Magdalene didn't have a great connotation yeah i feel like i've (laughs) i even know like in an episode of gilmore girls like when she just starts at like the new rich school they call her mary and Mm -hmm. it's either mary magdalene if you're like a hoe or which i'm like what a cool boarding school they're using like (laughs) religious and historical things to insult people And so I know that was kind of an interesting uh, rabbit hole I went down, but it actually gives a little bit of context to why they were called the Magdalene Laundries, also known as the Magdalene Asylums. So I want to be clear, um, there were laundries in other countries. So there were reports of uh, laundries in Britain, Australia, and the United States, 
But the main focus of this episode today is going to be on the Irish laundries as it's kind of most known. Um, most is known about them, and I think they were probably the the worst, which we'll we'll get into. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the most is known about them due to a scandal that happened in the 90s. So like 1990s, Ooh. which we'll talk about later. Okay. So the Magdalene laundries were part of essentially a, a system of orphanages, industrial schools, um, quote, mother and baby homes for unwed mothers. Uh, they were church-run institutions um, throughout Ireland. So is this why they were called Magdalene? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So apparently the Magdalene movement first took hold in the mid-18th uh, century. So the camp, this campaign or movement was to put fallen women to work. This was supported by both the Catholic and Protestant churches, and woman, women were serving short terms inside of these asylums. You'll hear the, the phrase, you know, Magdalene asylums, Magdalene laundries. Um, I think there's a few other phrases, but essentially like these women went to these locations to rehabilitate themselves mm -hmm. because they were fallen women, oh. just like our girl Mary from the start of the start of the episode. So Ireland's first institution um, was called the Magdalene Asylum for Pen Penitent Females in Dublin, and this was founded by the Protestant Church of Ireland in 1765. So that's kind of the first instance in Ireland that we're aware of. During this time, there was a concern that prostitution in Irish cities was on the rise and that wayward women who had been seduced, had sex outside of marriage, or gotten pregnant out of wedlock were susceptible to becoming prostitutes. Okay. But also at the same time, I mean, I will give it to him, at this point in time, being a single mother unwed with a child was very looked down upon. So yeah, it was very hard for you to get work, Yep. support yourself and your child. So yeah, a lot of people did do that, yep. I would assume. There were actually um, parents that started to send their unmarried daughters to the institutions to hide pregnancies mm -hmm. um, with the hopes of, I don't know, rehabilitating them. Mm -hmm. um, also, too, not everyone was kind of sent away. There were a majority of women who did enter the institutions voluntarily. Mm -hmm. um, so really, the intent was they you know, went there for multiple year terms and they learned a quote unquote respectable profession. So I think it like lace work, sewing, all these different things. So really the idea and the concept, which makes sense, they'd learn these skills, they would leave the institution and then they would earn money. And there you go. When they were at the institution, they would be like working, but they would also be supporting the institution while they were there. Mm -hmm. And learning a skill. Learning a skill. May, I mean, that seems reasonable, On right? On paper, yeah, it sounds On great. <laughs> Over the years, they actually became more like prisons. The Magdalene Laundries um, also actually became primarily Catholic institutions, which is interesting. Um, so going back to kind of the, the prison comment, there were many different groups of women being routed through the system, um, sometimes by the Irish government themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so there were people that were, you know, put into these institutions that came from psychiatric wards, jails, uh, women with special needs, victims of rape or sexual assault, pregnant teenagers were sent there by their parents. There were also uh, girls deemed too flirtatious or tempting to men that got sent to these laundries. Temptresses. Temptresses. Um, and some were just there for no apparent reason. Mm -hmm. 
In addition to being run by the Catholic Church, these laundries were also supported by the Irish government. So the Irish government funneled money towards this system in exchange for literal laundry services. Oh. Yeah. Like laundry for what? Like what's the government washing? So they're washing all sorts of stuff. Um, And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's literally laundry services. I'm like, I mean, is it like the politician's clothing? (laughs) Like, I think there was like school uniforms. um, Interesting. All this crazy stuff. Okay. I think it's later on in my script. Okay. (laughs) I was like, I can't find it. Yeah, we'll Um, get there. (laughs) So, you know, ruling these laundries were nuns. um, And apparently they ruled with a hard fist. Um, So... They sometimes were beating inmates, and they had very strict rules of silence. Once inside the the laundries, uh, girls and women were imprisoned behind locked doors, barred or unreachable windows with high walls. Um, they were usually given no information as to when or whether they would be released. Once they entered, their names were often changed. They were given an identification number. Uh, many women actually do recall being instructed not to speak about their home place or their family. That sounds terrible. And that's also really destructive in the sense of taking away someone's actual identity. It's so like, like that's what abusers do. Mm-hmm. They take away like your sense of identity. They take away your sense of community. Yep. That's like some mental mind games right there. They would cut their hair. Their clothes were taken away and replaced with kind of these drab uniforms Um, As I mentioned, there was a rule of silence. So in most uh, Magdalene laundries, they weren't really allowed to talk um, and friendships were forbidden. So going back to that community sense you talked about, like, nope, there was no correspondence allowed with the outside. If there was, it was intercepted. So you couldn't see your friends or family. So they're Um, really treated like inmates here. Yeah, legit. Um, and in the event that maybe your family could come, which was very rare, it was monitored by a nun when it did happen. So that's jail. Yeah, pretty much. It's crazy. <laughs> you just described jail. Yeah, it's jail. They also do laundry <laughs> for the local area. Yeah, that's jail. They do laundry. <laughs> they do laundry and like work. Uh, yeah, it's jail. It's crazy. So the girls and the women were forced to work from morning until evening. Um, so washing, ironing, packing laundry, sewing, embroidering, and doing other manual labor. So these laundries were run um, actually on a, a for-profit basis. So it was a commercial kind of, I guess, enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the, the girls and the women received no pay for this. And the laundry they washed, going back to your question earlier, came not only from members of the public, local businesses, religious institutions, um, but like I mentioned, from other government departments. So the defense forces, public hospitals, public schools, real prisons, and other state entities such as the parliament, the chief state solicitor's office, the office of public works, the land commission, just to name a few. Wow. They were literally doing slave laundry labor. Slave laundry. Slave laundry. That sounds terrible. You know, I mean, and this is like this isn't like oh, you throw it in the washing machine, the big commercial size one, and it's going to clean it for you. No, this is hand washing everything. It's insane. Yeah, <laughs> it's very exhausting. And you know, if if you were someone that was in there and you refers refused to work, um, punishments were insane for not doing the work. Like were they physical or? Mm-hmm. So there was, um, you know, physical beating. There was deprivation of meals, solitary confinement. 
a couple things that aren't conducive to someone having to use a lot of strength to do laundry. Right. <laughs> Force kneeling for long periods, yes. humiliation rituals, including, you know, more shaving of the hair after they had already shaved the hair. The survivors, and there, there are still survivors today, which we'll talk about, um, they speak of constantly being under surveillance, being verbally insulted, feeling cold, having a poor diet, and enduring hum- humiliating and inadequate hygiene conditions. Conditions. Hmm. Um, obviously, none of these girls or women received an education, um, and they really just their life was taken away from them. Yeah, there there were some instances of you know girls or women trying to escape. Um, you know, they might have tried to escape in the back of a laundry van or running out an open door or by scaling the wall. But most of the time um, in the event that they did escape, they were captured and returned back to the laundry. Wow. So obviously escaping was not cool. Uh, The nuns would punish them in many cases by transferring them to a different Magdalene laundry. So it was not great. It actually kind of reminded me... um, Oh, the story was a lot like, almost like The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, I'm getting (laughs) those vibes a little bit. Like, it's crazy how many similarities there are. If you've watched that series, it's great. But a lot of the things that the tactics that they used were very similar to The Handmaid's Tale, which I think is super crazy. Yeah. So in the event that a woman or girl was released, which was very rare, it was typically without any sort of warning, without money, and without... Anything besides the clothes they were wearing. And their new laundry skills. Yeah. And they're just like, bye, see ya. Like, there was no rhyme or reason to it. Mm-hmm. Um, some girls and women were given jobs in other institutions run by nuns, but many, once they escaped the laundries, they fled abroad as soon as they could. Yeah. So it was not, it was not good. It was not a good, not a good time. I see. I didn't know like all the details about the laundries, but I do know that Sinead O'Connor, the famous Irish singer, she was in one, mm-hmm. and I remember her talking about it. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is that with the modern day, like people we know of, I have a question for you. When do you think that the last Irish laundry was closed? What year? 2000. Oh, 1996. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was shocking. I'm like, wait, this happened all through the time I was in sixth grade, like this was still happening. These laundries still existed. Okay, so that's why I was thinking that because I think, I think she was pretty popular in like the nineties, right? Early two mm-hmm. thousands, maybe. I'm trying to think like back to my childhood. Like, at what era did I was she like really popular? And she referenced when she was like a, a kid, and I was. That's why I was like, well, it had to be. That's why I was like, I'll just go two thousand. But yeah. 1996. I mean, that's still for what? It started in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. What's even crazier was how the world came to even know about the existence of these laundries. Oh, yeah. Because you said no one knew until recently, right? Right. So what happened was um, there were the Sisters of Our Lady of Charity decided to sell some land they owned in Dublin. They had some debts they had to pay off in 1992. Oh, no. I already know where this is going. So the nuns followed the proper procedures to um, sell their land. They petitioned officials for permission to move the bodies of women buried in the cemetery at their Donnybrook laundry. Um, So that laundry had, had been in existence from 1837 to 1992. Can I make an assumption of what's going to happen here? Sure. I don't want to ruin it for anyone else, though. 
Okay. They're going to find other dead bodies that are unmarked. All right. Let's get into it. That's my guess. I'm putting it in. Ding, ding, ding. Let's continue. You are correct. Ooh. So the cemetery at this specific laundry was no ordinary resting place. It was a mass grave. Oh, my gosh. So inside it were bodies of scores of unknown women. Uh, There were tons of undocumented, uncared about inmates. And this was one of Ireland's actually most notorious Magdalene laundries. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's crazy was the mass grave was discovered. There were 155 unmarked tombs, which really set off this scandal that exposed the extent and horrors of what was happening in the laundries. Yeah, that's horrendous. So the way it happened was the nuns had applied, which is really, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I've never really thought about... Uh, moving bodies and cemeteries. But apparently when they go through this process and you petition, you tell how many bodies are being moved, which makes sense. Mm. I guess I've just never really thought about it. Yeah, well, going back, I mean, this is Ireland, but referencing the United States, after the Tulsa race massacre, if you recall, in recent times, they have found what they think could potentially be uh, on Mark Graves. And remember when we were recording the episode, it was like in the middle of all of that happening. Mm-hmm. They couldn't exhume the bodies that's because right. they didn't have a place for them to go yet. And that's like part of it. Like you can't just exhume bodies. Like it has to have a place to go. And yeah, there's a lot of weird things around it. Yeah. Go listen to episode two. Uh, it's one of our early ones, but that's go listen one. to it. <laughs> so the nuns applied to have 133 bodies moved from unmarked graves on the property. However, the remains of 155 people were found. So they were like sharing plots and stuff and caskets and... Well, it gets crazier too. So journalists learn that there were only 75 death certificates that existed. So everyone was like, wait, what? Why are there more bodies than we think there are? Why are you saying one thing? Why are there only 75 death certificates? Why are you requesting 130, but you only have 70-something on record? Like, first things first. That's sketch. So really, the everyone just kind of had this outcry. Like, what is going on here? We need more information. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the nuns said that there had been an administrative error. And they cremated all the remains and reburied them in another mass grave. So really, this discovery of kind of this weird, I guess, accounting error, if you will, not to diminish death and bodies, but this discovery and kind of inconsistency in what was happening really turned the Magdalene laundries from, you know, a secret to really front page news. Yeah, that's a huge discovery. People went crazy, uh, understandably so. Sure. So suddenly, women began to testify about their experiences at these institutions, Mm -hmm. and they started to pressure the Irish government to hold the Catholic Church accountable and to pursue cases with the UN uh, for human rights violations. Because Mm -hmm. this is literally 1990, you know, 1992, 93 at this point. Like, these have been going on, and they were still in existence um, at that time, which is just crazy to me that that was still happening. Yeah. I don't know. That's crazy. So it's a lot. The United Nations did get involved because there was such an outcry about an understandable human rights violation, mm-hmm. and they urged the Vatican to look into the matter. Uh, the UN stated that the girls at the laundries were deprived of their identity, of education, 
often food and essential medicines, and were imposed with an obligation of silence and prohibited from having any contact with the outside world. So the Catholic Church kind of remained silent on this whole thing. The Irish government looked into it and they released a report that did acknowledge that they did have a part in the laundries. Mm -hmm. Um, And they also kind of did a deep dive and found out, I, I don't know if the government necessarily realized the extent of the cruelty going on in the institutions, but they did acknowledge uh, their, their participation participation their, in it. Yeah. Unknowingly or knowingly. I don't know. Who's to say, right? So as I mentioned, the last Magdalene Laundry finally closed in 1996. And that was really only because of this uproar surrounding the discovery of the mass grave. Mm-hmm. Had that not happened, I, I don't know. How many other mass graves are out there? You know, like... When are we going to find those? I don't know. It's crazy. Crazy. So the last laundry, um, when it closed in 1996, it was home to 40 women at the time. Mm. Most of them were elderly. Uh, Many had developmental disabilities. Uh, Nine of them had no known relatives. And all of them decided to stay with the nuns. I mean, they were truly, I guess, institutionalized. I mean, yeah, at that point, you're, what are you going to do? Yeah. I don't know. So finally, in 2013, so not that long ago, um, Ireland's president did apologize to the Magdalene women and announced a compensation fund. So they were given monetary, I mean, nothing will make up for being stuck literally in a prison-like environment. Yeah. Um, But they were were given some compensation to apologize for the whole thing. I mean, at least there's that. At least it's a step. At least they acknowledge it. And at least, yeah, doing something, does it excuse it? Absolutely not. Yeah. But, I mean, I'll commend them at least for, like, a trying to make the right steps. Yeah. there's. I mean, there's nothing you can do but just try to do better. But right. it's just, ugh. You know, I kind of just had this moment while I was reading through all of this and thinking, wow, I can't believe this This took place. It was crazy. And, like, what, like, what the heck? Like, why was this still happening? And, you know... Really, oftentimes women would come out of these laundries and anything they said would be pretty much dismissed by the public, right? The institutions were run by a religious group. Survivors who talked about what they had been through were often shamed or ignored. Many women were too embarrassed to talk about the past and never told anyone what had happened to them. And so there is not a ton of information out there just because like people haven't really talked about it. Mm-hmm. Estimates of the number of women who went through the Irish Magdalene laundries do vary, uh, and most religious groups have refused to provide kind of archival information for investigators or historians to look into. It is popular, or not popular, it is on record that at least 10,000 women and girls are believed to have passed through the laundries between Ireland's independence from Britain in 1922 and the closing of the last one in 1996. The Sisters of Mercy could not produce records for two of their institutions, and the committee that looked into this excluded girls and women who had entered before 1922 and remained thereafter, uh, referring to these women as legacy cases. So basically anything before uh, Irish independence is kind of, I mean, it's been around, we have records since the, you know, the late 1700s. Mm-hmm. So it is believed that up to 300,000 women were have thought to have passed through the laundries in total. 
That's insane. But we only have a, a record estimate kind of of 10,000, but most historians and people looking into this guess about 300,000. That's insane. And they won't give the records or they're saying they don't have records? They... Kind of both? And they're, it's sketch. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. I mean, there are so many living survivors today. And I was going to do a section on some of the stories of the survivors, but I almost didn't want to like diminish the experience of others. So yeah. I didn't want to focus on a few survivors, but there is there are a lot of accounts out there. There's a lot of interviews. They actually did a summit, I believe it was in 2017, where about 200-ish uh, survivors had attended kind of a two-day summit in yeah. Ireland kind of just processing all that they went through and talking about their experiences. So there are many people still alive today that experienced and went through this. And that's not even to mention all the people that died. There was, you know, children that died in these laundries. Children that were probably born in the laundries. Mm -hmm. People that just like, I would assume like those older women, people that just their family lost track of them. Or there was nobody. Maybe there was deaths and the family and something. And these people ended up there and they had literally nothing else to go to. Yeah. Wow. That's so sad. Man. I know. It's what really a, unfortunate. What a, what a thing to have been created in the first place. And then something that like was so shoved under the rug for such a long time too. So long. I did think it was funny when you were talking about when some of these women would come out and try and tell their story to other people and they would be like, no one believes you. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of what you talked about in the beginning, Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. Like you went to, oh, oh, you went to uh, a Magdalene laundry. You're not reputable now. You're a whore. You're You're a prostitute. Yeah, you're a temptress. You're a fallen woman. They love that that phrase, a fallen woman. You're a woman of the evening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, yeah, so your word is automatically diminished, like, because you just said, you started with, I went here, here's what happened. Yeah. And so, of course, you're a liar. Duh. It's crazy. And I think just, I don't know, institutions and places that are cruel to people unnecessarily, it just, I don't comprehend that yeah i agree it's yeah it definitely researching this gave me mad like handmaid's tale vibes yeah um that was a good analogy because once you said that i was like yeah i can see that for sure it definitely like felt like that um i don't know it's just it's crazy and i i can't imagine these these poor survivors and their their lives you know just getting taken away from them for for silly reasons there was um you know, a report of one woman who, like, had been raped and they sent her there because, I don't know, they didn't want her to, like, infect others. But, it, like, I don't know. It's just disgusting. Yeah. It's not not great. It's very antiquated. Yes. So, apparently, this is a very, uh, very touchy subject in Ireland. And they have acknowledged it. They've talked about it. But, obviously, not a great point in their history. Yeah. So, I, I mean- would encourage... Everyone, to do your research, read some of those survivor stories. There are there are tons. They're heartbreaking. Yeah. So just make sure you're in the the right mindset when you hear about the horrors that happened to them in these these places that were from the outside supposed to help, but obviously the opposite did not. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing all that research. I do want to make a note. You, Anyone from Ireland listening, because I know we have a, a small group of listeners from there, we would love to hear your opinion f- from the home base of mm-hmm. like, 
what's what's the kind of like temperature gauge on like the current viewpoints of it? Like, is it being taught in school or is it, you know, like what's the discussion about it? That's something we're always curious about. And it's always good to, to know the different viewpoints. Yeah. But you guys can also reach out to us, whether you're from Ireland or Australia or from France or wherever else you're listening. And you can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. The Twitterverse. We are there as well. Mm-hmm. And where else are we? TikTok? We're, we dabble in the TikTok. Sure. It's not our strongest social. It's not we're our strongest social. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, and yeah, if you guys have an experience or a topic that you want to share with us or just general feedback or anything, go ahead and send us a Gmail. That is historicalpodcast at gmail.com. Also, we have like a form submission section on our website. You can oh, do that fancy. too. It's all fancy. I know. Also, just check out our website. It's cute. There's not much on there. <laughs> it's straight it's to the cute. point. It's cute. It's straight to the point. There's some photos of us. There's some stuff, you know, whatever. And then that's also where we put all the resources that we use to give you this great information, the amateur historians that we are. Yes. So if you ever want to know, hey, where are these ladies learning all this? Well, go to the website and it'll tell you. That's the spiel. Anyway, thanks again, Deanna. That was really interesting. Uh, that's, I'm glad you enjoyed researching it. And it was very, very informative. Thank you. Talk it was again. fun to research. Good suggestion. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, as always, we love you. And we will see you next week. See you later. Bye. Bye. I feel like this was a sad one. It was. It was depressing. It was depressing. But that's the reality of history sometimes. It's It's not all history. Rainbows and sunshine. Most of the time it is terrible. Sad and depressing. Death. Why? Let's let's start a massacre podcast. The Rainbows and Sunshine (laughs) podcast. We need to do something positive though. That's what Patreon's for. Join our Patreon. It'll just be our pets in the sunshine frolicking. Sounds good to me. All right. All right.